Hello. Okay. Risk-taking and empowerment. So the first slide that you've got, it shows some of the stereotypical overparenting personas. Have you heard that? Have you heard of lawnmower parent? How about the, um, the first one, right? The, I mean, the, the, the original title, the helicopter parent. And then the lawnmower parent came out. And now one of the latest ones is snowplower parent. There's an article from in the New York Times on the snowplow parent, and I'll put that down in the notes. Um, so let's talk about those three types and then a little bit about the Harvard Business Review pro, uh, article there. And then we've got some examples to show, talk about. Okay, so you know what the, the lawnmower parent is, right? The, um, uh, you used to be follow behind me, honey, and I'll just take care of all the stuff in front of you. Kind of an easygoing version. An easier, go, easier going version than the snowplower parent, when, which the snowplow parent just blasts everything out of the kid's way, right? So there's, there's no obstacles left. Um, then the one in the middle, the helicopter parent, would be the, um, you know, just always there, um, not necessarily trying to take out the obstacles, but just always there. And I'll tell you what, all the times that I'm always there with my kid, he it becomes a circus. It becomes a drama production uh, much more prevalently, much more easily, right? Because you know how kids are with their parents, right? And they can play us like a harp, even when we think that we're not going to fall for that stuff. <laughs> they do. They always outsmart us. I, I've told, uh, I've said this many a time, I've lost many an argument with a nonverbal child. So they're far more clever than we give them credit for, right? Okay, so... As, as one of the things that this article from the NPR uh, actually comes from uh, the overparenting crisis in school and at home, the, the link there will take you to the, uh, the actual article. Um, so we, we do, we therapy parents, right? We're, we're kind of on red alert from as, as soon as we get our diagnosis or as soon as we recognize, uh-oh, there's something different, something wrong. Then we either ignore, avoid, deny... Or we swing the pendulum the other far 180-degree difference, and that is we just over-parent, right? And in the beginning years, I was taught by some of the very best therapists, well, the best ones I could find, right? So um, to just how, how sad, too bad, we're going to do this. And so if anything, I have been trained to over-intervene. Um, I don't over-intervene at home, but I got to watch myself when I am out in public or when I think the public eye is watching him. Um, and so when I catch myself over-parenting out in public, I just try to keep my mouth shut. I, I hear myself talking too loudly or like hovering. I'm either the lawnmower, more the helicopter, um, like over-prompting, right, and and telling him every step along the way, which is like, oh man, that's that slippery slope of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. I'm just, I'm telling my kid how to breathe, and he's going to get upset, and he's going to squawk, and he's going to play, going to play me like a harp, and I'm doing exactly the wrong thing, because I'm over-parenting. All right, so it's, I, there, I think there's two, two games we play. The one is the game at home, which is, which is much easier because it's much easier to take the audience out of the theater when you're at home. I can step away. I can ignore. I can walk away. 
I'm, I'm great at walking away. <laughs> I've given you some examples before of trying to redirect the overparenting, especially as soon as I'm mindful that I'm my own worst enemy in that. It's a little trickier when you're out in public, especially in the early years, because we really are trained by the best that we can find to not just let that neural pathway going in utterly the wrong direction continue. So, you know, I, I was told you have to always intervene. And so out in public, I'm trying to fade my intervening as much as possible. I'm trying to lower my voice, maybe use a whisper, or maybe just give a, an eye expression, uh, roll my eyes or make a goofy face or, or, or just something that a neurotypical kid might receive from their parents. Or they might give, you know, throw a little attitude. What is it they say? Throw a little shade? Is that the, the saying? Um, I want my kid to get used to the the culture of the street. Not the ugly parts of it, but just the, you know, the kidding and the innuendo and the um, the, the 80% of, of communication that's body language. Not just that 20% or so of the words. And for sure, not that torrent of words out of mom's mouth. It just sounds like nagadocious. So that article, um, go ahead and take a look at it. Uh, it will explain things far better than I can here. Some of the, the ramifications, the effects, the, the, um, the unintended consequences of, of just hovering or removing all the obstacles or never letting our kids fail, you know. I, I try to let him take risks all the time. I'm about to show you some examples of that. And even today, he was out riding his bike. Um, uh, no helmet, right? I'm not telling him whether to be barefoot or not. Uh, I'm just trying to let him find out the hard way. Not, not too hard, you know, not bleeding in the emergency room. But if he feels some pain or does something inappropriate, age delayed, right? So he would be... You'd have the developmental delay, and thankfully, most of the kids that we hang out with know that they know that he's got a diagnosis. They know it's autism. They 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 know that um, he almost died from fire ants. Um, we've talked about you know that holding the tongue thing, so his language is different. But but he does act much younger, and so it's always great when we find friends who've got younger kids at home. It just is an easier cover for John's developmental delay and some of his inappropriate social behavior, depending on the situation, right? So my kid has a love-hate relationship with our beagle. And um, I see him do things to Spike in public when we're out walking the dog or playing with or hanging out. Like today, we had three kids plus John plus myself during the COVID-19 um, self-isolation that we're going through, but we had four kids plus me hanging out on our driveway today, mostly six feet apart. When I took a photograph, I made sure we spread out a little bit more. But through it all, John was horsing around with the dog, goofing with him, paying less attention to his peers. And I saw them kind of defer to John in a kindly way, so not in a judgmental way. Although I was kind of embarrassed about how he was doing dumb things with a dog, but I might have been overly judgmental. I am so overly aware of things. So I thought, you know, Gail, the more you nag and draw everybody's attention to the fact that John's over there doing age inappropriate things with a dog from a developmental delay, the more you shed light on that, the more you water those weeds, you're causing your own trouble. So just shut up and talk to the kids and hopefully they won't notice. <laughs> 
you know, not that I'm in charge of what his peers think of John. You know, I think we've got some pretty lenient peers. Because <laughs> I see them, God love them, I see them correcting him. And, and I tell the kiddos over and over, be his teacher. You know, he's so lucky to have you guys to teach him. Um, and I see them correcting him, and, and I'm just delighted. You know, that's the best thing. And, and especially, like, in, in years past, I've had some of the, one of our very best biomedical doctors tell me to find some older girls and let him play with them and let them boss him around so he can start to catch up on some of the social, emotional development that he's just behind, behind his peers on. Okay, so that was today on the driveway. But this article will give you some other really good ideas from a theory standpoint. Um, now let's go ahead and go to the, oh, I'm sorry, there's one more uh, slide of text because I also want to talk about the, the cousin to uh, risk-taking, which is um, maybe it's a brother, brother or sister. Let's call it a sibling instead of a cousin, okay, because it's more powerful, uh, is empowerment, right? Now this quote comes from a gentleman that I have paid to listen to. Uh, he is a um, neuro-linguistic practitioner uh, name of Kane Ramsey, a delightful um, Irish or Scottish accent. So I definitely can recommend his classes, which I got on Udemy. And this is a quote from him. He says, as far as empowerment um, is comes because we take responsibility for our actions. And that it's actually a big sign of maturity. That maturity in life is our willingness to take responsibility for what I do. And I'm trying to get my kids to take responsibility for their lives. So let's just say it's a day where John's making poor choices and he's not happy. So one of the, the sentences that I, I'll say and then I'll really try hard to zip it is, John, you're choosing to be miserable. These are your choices. Hard way or easy way? Please, please pick easy way. Mom hates hard way. So I try to remind him that if he's miserable, he's responsible for that. I, I don't know how much he really absorbs, but I'm not going to quit saying it. All right. So back to our slide here. Cain uh, goes on to say that uh, as a person matures, they'll become more decisive, stronger, more consistent. And once they realize that when they've taken responsibility for what they're doing, then you're going to see that. You're going to see evidence of it by the confidence, by the decisiveness, by the, the, the tone of voice, by their carriage. You're going to see it in their eyes. You're going to see that shininess in their eyes, that sparkle, right? Um, have you seen it with your kids? Have you seen it when your child achieves something? Maybe they'll celebrate it out loud. Maybe they'll celebrate it inside. Um, They'll, they may share it. If you're lucky, they'll learn to be so peaceful, so secure with you that they can share the highs and the lows. Um, that part about, I need to try again, Mom. I, I, I didn't quite get it, but I'm going to try again. But when they get a chance to prove it over, they try again. They get up. They, they, they try again. They finally get to prove it over and over and over. And their confidence grows. Then you know what? It's going to happen. They're going to feel ever more empowered. They're going to feel ever more uh, able to take on bigger things. So I just love that quote. I think it's so important to realize that once we take responsibility, then we give ourselves a power because we're no longer the victim, right? And then the more I take responsibility for what it is that I'm doing in my life or I'm creating or not creating in my life, then I'll get off my duff and I'll quit feeling the victim and I'll quit feeling sorry for myself. And I'll realize, you know what? 
I'm responsible for how I feel. I'm responsible for my decisions. I am responsible for my reaction, how I react, how I respond, what I do, what I think. They can't make me, but I can sure make myself. I can allow myself to make either good or bad choices. So I think it works for kids too. All right. So consider that when you're working with them. Now, the next few slides are photographs of examples. So I'll give you a quick intro to each of them. They may be relevant in your life now. Perhaps your kid is yet to be this age. I think this was probably fifth, sixth, seventh grade, some of these photographs, in a variety of settings. Um, and maybe, Or maybe your kid is yet to grow into this, you know. But you can, the, the concept is for illustration, examples, and you may have better ones, okay? So email me. I'd love to talk with you further. Okay, chores. I grew up on a farm, and I suspect you had some kind of chores when you were growing up. Well, I need to make sure that my kid does too. So yeah, it's pretty risky pumping gas. You know, at least I made him put a cigarette out before he opened up the gas tank. And so then I'm teaching him how to, that's a joke, right? You know that. Okay, so I'm teaching him the card, the codes, how to run the machines, the, the piece before the nozzle. You know, he has to use the muscle, the, 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 the hand strength, the, the motor planning to get the card in and out of the, to pay the thing, right? And then we got to open up the gas tank flapper, and then he's got to open up the screw top on it, which, you know, it's got some pretty good muscle resistance there. And then he's got to get that crank in the hole, and then actually at the end, I, I teach him how to drain the residual that's still in the pipe, you know, just in case that I've got another quart of gas that I paid for that's still in the pipe and I'd like to get it out or in the hose, I should say. All right. You see that look on his face? He knows he's doing a good thing. He knows that he's, he's getting a chance to do a big kid thing. All right. Now let's go on to the one with the elevator. You see those two red ovals? So we did, when we were still going to the clinical setting, Texas Children's Hospital for Occupational Therapy, they moved from one old hospital to a new hospital. So now we have to navigate the elevators. You might see that notebook that he's carrying in the second uh, picture. So he, we, we took something up and we got back down to leave and he said, oh, I don't have my list. So I just said, go get it. I'll wait here for you. So he had to turn around, go back to the elevator, go up to the second floor, go all the way back to wherever he left it, retrace his steps. And you see when he finally came out of that elevator, it's, it's kind of a faraway picture, but I know that's a grin on his face, that he went off on a grand adventure. Mom stayed downstairs, minding her own business. And um, when he kind of came back, I kept my mouth shut. I didn't say, oh, that's great, or I didn't say, don't forget it next time. I just acted like, of course, this is what we do. We, If we forget something, we go back and we get it. And there's no celebration and there's no punishment. It's just what you got to do. So we had practiced elevators, and um, we've practiced doing a lot of things boomerang, you know. Um, one time he did get lost when he was a young, young child. He wandered off and we have uh, a set of neighbors that are just fabulous. And they found him a couple of streets over and they eventually helped me retrieve him. And that was, oh, he probably was three years old, four years old. So then John and mom have a long conversation about lost about lost and, and getting found, and he's never wandered off since. But I also make sure that whenever we go somewhere that he's 
a half a step ahead of me all the time, that he's the leader, that he's developing a sense of navigation of the earth, kind of like his own practiced GPS. And then when we are in the car, he's in charge of the GPS or Google Maps or Waze or whichever one we're using. Uh, so he gets a chance to do some casual reading, some, they call that blue jeans reading, right? Uh, um, if there's any street signs to look for or um, reading sign, we'll play a, an ABCD game. So when we're driving on the freeway, I do not let him have a device in the car. I want him to look out the window. I want him to have as much eye exercise for all the vision therapy that we do and enhancing his long-term vision and catching the world uh, you know, as it's moving past. There's a lot of good saccadic movement there and your eyes have to team and, and do the saccades jumps and um, work together and use those muscles, right? Long-range focus, short-range focus, long-range focus. So I want him to use those eye muscles. I want him to read the, the signs. And so then we'll play the ABC game. I'll find a sign with an A in it. And then I'll go, okay, my turn, A. Albatross crossing coming. And then his is B. And then he'll find some sign. It could be on the truck. It could be on the car that goes by. It could be a street sign with a B. It starts with one of the words has a B as initial cap, initial, you know, uh, um, consonant. So we play that ABC game. So anyway, I'm trying to do everything about reading and paying attention and uh, look, looking at the world around him. Okay, moving on. Now, the ones down at the bottom, there's a yin to this yang. So we had started piano lessons. They came to the home. Um, we had a, some recitals. It was all a lovely experience until they fired us. <laughs> and it was, it was a horrible experience. Um, he just wasn't making the kind of progress that they wanted. And I think they were embarrassed. They talked about how they really did reach out to kids with learning differences. But I think that was just talk. And I, I didn't see the firing coming. I even just had given Miss Melanie her Christmas present. I just had given her 40 bucks in cash, and then she starts a big fight, and that's the end of it. And it was a lot of drama on their part. So um, Lessons on the Go is no f friend to me. Um, but we did have some good years with them, and this is one of the recitals. And uh, John loved it. Um, so... Um, it was great practice. He uh, got a chance to play in front of people. He got to navigate the walking on and walking off. He got to practice the adrenaline. He got to practice working through the crowd, um, wor working through the fear, working through the adrenaline, and, and then the sheer joy of the performing. So um, I can definitely recommend the recital music lessons for your kids. When you see that they're happy to perform, that they're they want people looking at them, and they're proud of what they've done. I mean, that's anti-type for kids in the spectrum, right? That's not how they typically act, so yay for that. Okay, now let's go on to the next one. All right, you see the one that says, you see that aerial map? All right, when we went from, I told you this, the story about the bus, right? And that when we went to sixth, fifth and sixth grade ARD, they wanted to put him on the short bus. And I said, nope, no way. And they said, ooh, bullying. And I said, nope, no way. We're going to take those risks. We've been backward chaining for years to be ready for this. So that's the aerial map of the bus stop and where we live. So you see that's one, two, three line segments, curvy blocks out of line of sight. And did you hear the, the podcast about me lurking in the bushes and then my neighbor coming out and, and thinking I was a predator and snagging me and all that? Okay, so that's the aerial shot of his trek, morning and night, getting to and from the bus. 
So pretty cool. I, I'm uh, he, but he takes such joy. Now that the the picture of him coming off the bus with the blue shirt, that is the afternoon of his first day in fifth grade riding the big kid bus, and he knows he's done something pretty friggin' awesome. That he's been that he's the one kiddo with the learning differences. We could say special needs. We could say developmental delay. Pick the word you like, okay? I stick to learning differences because we focus then on how the brain works as opposed to what doesn't work. <laughs> um, so here he gets off the bus and uh, he, you know, he he sees me. So I ha I'm at the bus stop, right? So we haven't done the full backward chaining to get him all the way home. But that's him a day in fifth grade at a new big school full of achievement, riding that bus by himself, and navigating his peers. And that's a happy kid. Okay, so now you'll see down in the bottom left-hand corner is one of the interventions we had worked really hard through the intermediate school, fifth, sixth, when we found a special um, specialized instruction certified, special ed certified teacher who was teaching neurotypical science. So that was the LC rotation. So whichever set of teachers you get when you're in fifth, you also get them in sixth. And she was so awesome uh, in working and, and wanted John. So God love Katie McLean. Okay. And uh, so then that's him on the bottom right. He's got the blue shirt on. Now he's there for um, uh, Gen Ed Science Lab. So he's gotten his instruction somewhere else. He's not having to perform at grade level. I sure wish he had to, but we're just not there yet. But he's attending and he's paying attention and he's there with his neurotypical peers and they're modeling and helping and that's science lab. And that was a special thing. We had to earn that. He had to earn that and he had to pony up for it and continue to earn it because he could not be disruptive in the classroom. So that goes back to one of the things that we have done since kindergarten is work on redirecting any of his stems. I'm just not a parent that says it's okay to stem in public. I tell him, hey, John, do you know that you're stemming? Now for him, it's a hum. That's one of his, he's, he's kind of evolved through the stems, but this loud kind of a monotone mm, is, is kind of a go-to when he's trying to soothe himself. It might be the one he uses when he's trying to get my goat, and it usually does. <laughs> and then I try to make the prompt the least invasive, and I'll say, hey, John, do you know you're stemming? Or I might say, hey, John, why are you stemming? I try not to say, hey, John, quit stemming. Or go do it in your room. Or go outside. I try to make him just aware. And then let him decide what he's going to do. But it, that kind of a tone, that monotone, would be disruptive in the classroom. And that's going to kill our chances of as much gen ed inclusion, curricular LRE, as we can get. So it's always been in his best interest, in my opinion, to to redirect away from any audible stem, okay? And I tell him, hey, it's just like playing with your privates. Hey, John, that's called playing with your privates, and you can do it in your room. You don't do it out in public. Hey, John, that's stemming. You can do that in your room. That's kind of where we leave it. So, all right, moving on now, you get to see the percussion. And we had this awesome... Um, uh, team. It's, uh, uh, so it's Ralph Hicks and Let Them Drum. Uh, we were so lucky to have him as the band director, percussion band director, in fifth and sixth grade. And John played with some modifications, but, but the whole idea was that it would be anybody could play. So you've got neurotypical drummers and you've got kiddos with challenges. Um, John probably had some of the greatest challenges of any of the kids that played, but we kept showing up.
And you'll see the words that I have there, right? So with the, with the percussion joy, and then it also fits into the interactive metronome that we're doing with occupational therapy. And then absolutely midline crossover. And you know the three midlines, right? You got your waist, you've got your east-west, and then you got your, so the first one was north-south, then the next one is east-west, and then you have front-back. So those are your three midlines. And so the drumming, picking that stuff up, moving it from performance to performance. And we got out in the middle of a lot of big arenas and John hung in there and I've got lots of pictures to share and they're all over the social media posts. So if you'd like more info on that, let me know. Um, so he has the pressure of the performance and the pressure of standing and waiting, playing and then waiting and then moving and waiting and waiting in the hallways, waiting where it's loud and, and there's a lot of cacophony of noises and smells and, um, and uh, hot bodies <laughs> and waiting some more, right? But it's, it's been so good, uh, awesome. And we now are playing and earned a spot in uh, junior high school, seventh, eighth grade band. Now, yes, we are at concert band number four level, but there are some performances and he performed in his little tuxedo uh, at Christmas and he will at the end of the year if we had end of the year, but you know the whole COVID-19 if you're listening to this in some year other than 2020, there was a time when we had to just kind of hide in our home caves because of the coronavirus. So it's kind of a, uh, there's a law, a lot of loss to social, emotional and performance learning to our kids, but we're trying to make the most of it. But this is a, but so seventh and eighth grade band, concert band number four, it's a legit thing. So go for it. That's what I say. Go for it. And we've also taken lessons, music lessons. Music turns on more parts of the brain than anything else does. So load your kids up with music. Um, it also, this, uh, all the drumming percussion practice um, did help him to master sensory overload. It's a major executive functioning. He's got to remember, he's got to maybe match. He's got to mirror some of the performances. He's got to hold his own. He's got to remember where his drumsticks are and where his equipment is and where his sunglasses are. Um, and then taking care of his instruments too. I'm not carrying his stuff. I said, that's your job. That's not my job. Now, I might be one of the camel parents that help, but I'm not going to carry his drumsticks or carry his drum. And he, as time went by and he continues to develop more muscle tone, he's proud of carrying that stuff around and being roadie. Okay. So, and he's really proud of performing with the kids. He really digs that. Okay. We've clicked on now to the, the next, I think this is the last slide that we have for tonight. And I, I, I really like doing hashtag stories. So if you ever get to my Facebook or maybe some of the eBooks um, as time goes by, so I'll, I'll hashtag creatively is it's part of making a point. We haven't been riding the bus for a while, so my third kid's stories have dwindled here lately, but they're, they're, he's developed a, a like, a, a desire. He needs to be he chooses to be, he negotiates and navigates such that he will either be second kid or third kid. If he goofs off too long in the car or too long at the house, then he might be fourth, fifth, sixth, or rushing, running down the road frantically kid. But for the most part, he was stuck with first kid because I had to drop off our foreign exchange student over at a school which required me driving. And the timing of the beginning of the year was that John got the short end of the stick. And then eventually we figured out that I could let him ride in the car with us. So that turned out better. But it was all part of a clever plan, really, to always keep pushing him and stretching him is that I'd just drop him off like 30 minutes early for the bus. Wow. 
What kind of a mom drops her kid off 30 minutes early? <laughs> so he always has his peanut butter sandwich. You can see that there in his hands. I do not let him take his phone to school. A lot of those peers there have their phones, and so it's kind of a standing joke in my social posts is that he's got his peanut butter sandwich and everybody else has their phone. <laughs> I do it so that he pays attention to other kids. I don't want him just drifting off into games. I know how seductive and addictive all that is for him. And I just don't want him to become a drone. So no phone for John. But I did get him a, a smart watch, an Android synced watch. And so he compensates with that. So I can always tell when he's trying to get kids to pay attention to him because he flashes, he shakes his wrist. So that big old watch stands out. It's like, hey, look, I should have games on this watch, but I don't. My mom's so lame. It's just got heart rate and Fitbit stuff. It doesn't have anything really cool. But I did figure out the alarm on it, and I can figure out the digital time. So, hey, I'm shaking my wrist so you see my watch. It's quite cute. Um, now, not always is he attention-seeking in the correct way. So I try to remind him that, hey, and let's say that he interacts with some girls in a different way than he does with boys. I remind him, hey, babe, if you want to, have the girls pay attention to you. You're going to have to act in a different way. You're going to have to use, make your voice sound like a song. So we, we try to work through all of these social catch-up stuff, right? Catching up on social everything. So back to the third kid. We're riding the gen ed bus. Um, he might be second kid. He might be first kid. You see some circum circumstances here where some mornings are shorts and sunshine and other mornings are coat and rain and um, hanging out or on his way. Uh, it's, it's, it was always so much fun to do that with him. Um, and um, I know those days aren't dead. They'll be coming back pretty soon when we figure out our immune system uh, uh, improvements. If you just heard a loud bang... My um, my kid came down, <laughs> and uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> he went to bed really early, but that's another story. Okay, so I think we're pretty much done with this. Um, just to let you know that risk-taking and empowerment works for kids, and he takes joy in this, and I'm sure your kids will have their own stories. So thanks for your time, and we shall talk again soon. Okay, 